Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Spider-Man Homecoming. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games, and I guess also movies, uh, because we've been doing pretty regular movie episodes. Yeah. It's funny that, you know, like, the very first one we did, wait, what was it? Was it Batman vs. Superman? No, it's got to be something before that. Star Wars, maybe? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't Star Wars. You were considering doing it. Um, hold on. I can. I can. Uh, I almost kind of want to go back to do a Star Wars episode because I have so much in my. I mean, we've talked a lot about Star Wars yeah. on the on the podcast that I, it would probably be redundant. But I just really have a lot of thoughts about the Force Awakens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what. You, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I feel like the first one was Batman vs Superman then because that was in March three months later. What uh, came out in January and February. The original John Wick? Did that come out then? No, oh, no, no. Batman vs. Superman was the first movies, yeah. I, th- I, I kind of thought it might be. Uh, the second one was Civil War. Uh, and then Apocalypse, which was that... <sighs> Uh, which was that episode that weirdly got, like, a bunch of listens from us. Like, <laughs> You know what? Didn't you also spell that wrong? Isn't it Apocalypse? Did I? Like, look at it on the, on the podcast. I think on SoundCloud it's spelled wrong. Oh, I I, I was looking at the, the final cuts in my... Because I have all the... Oh, uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was pretty sure... I was looking at it the other day. I was, like, looking at our backlog uh, because I was writing a self-promotional Reddit comment and I wanted to get some, like, choice... Choice episodes, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and then I saw the apocalypse episode. It was called Apocalypse, and I was like, maybe that's why. You know what? That that would have been like a great thing if I had if, if we had realized. I feel like we could have made that like like that's like a decent pun, Apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we're not that smart. Uh, uh, anyways, Spider-Man: Homecoming. I actually had a really tough time seeing this movie. I told you a little bit about it. Like, the first two times I went to go, it was sold out. Today, when I went to go see it, because I knew we were recording tonight, and I knew I needed to see it before then. Today, when I went to go see Spider-Man Homecoming, I had bought my tickets in advance, because I was like, all right, listen, I'm not going to get fucked anymore, right? So I bought my tickets in advance, and I show up at the theater, and I sit in the theater for 30 minutes, like 30 minutes of the movie's supposed to be playing, and then a guy comes in, and he's like, hey, so uh, the projector's broken. Um, <laughs> so, And I was just kind of like, listen, when is the next, when's the next screening of Homecoming? I gotta see this movie, sort of thing. So I finally... Finally saw it in a randomly packed theater, uh, and it was uh, and it was quite an experience. I was very happy to have. Um, I don't know how do we how do you even want how do we even want to start this? Well, let, let's <laughs> let's let's start with with initial thoughts. Um, uh, so so given well, the, for, okay, actually, what uh, we should start with is. Spoiler warning. Because we are going to spoil this movie. We're also probably going to talk about Baby Driver because I just happened to see that last night because we had more time after D&D than I thought. Um, So I also want to talk a little bit about that movie. Uh, So spoilers for those two movies are going to be coming up in this podcast. I recommend that that people go see them. I think that they're good. I think that they're watchable. I think that they're worth a... uh, uh, a big screen viewing. I wouldn't recommend. I saw. I ended up seeing Spider-Man in 3D. I would not recommend it. It was bad 3D. But there were some times when it was neat. But it was just like uh, <sighs> not great. I guess. Anyway. Yeah. So yes, uh, I would also, in general, kind of recommend both of these movies. Uh, but let, let's let's focus on Spider-Man for the moment. Um, I can. Th- I think we can go a little bit deeper than just like what did you think of it? Because it is is how. What did you think of this movie as a Spider-Man movie compared to Amazing and uh, and uh, the Tobey Maguire movies? And what do you think of this as a Marvel movie? Um, 
So this, okay, so this is actually kind of how I almost prefer to think about this. The, both of these movies, actually, right, is that um, is thinking about them in kind of along the different spectrums and axes of other movies that are kind of similar to them, if that makes sense. And I kind of think uh, for Spider-Man that it's kind of just middle of the. It's kind of middle of the road for both of these. Um, so I think I've said this before on the podcast. Spider-Man 2 is one of the all-time best comic book movies, right? Uh, I think it it is so, it is so incredibly good, right? Spider-Man 2. Um, but I also think Spider-Man 1 is very good. I mean, Spider-Man 1, just like in the context of history, like outside of its quality as a movie, it is... It's, it is like the Star Wars windfall moment for these comic book movies coming to screen. A lot of people talk about Blade. A lot of people talk about X-Men. But it was really Spider-Man that was the one that, could, that set the trajectory for these kinds of comic book movies that we are now just farming and reaping the benefits of today, right? You get a super auteur director who really respects the comic book material, right, to make, you know, to make a movie that has a lot of continuity, uh, that's very serialized, right? Where characters come back and are referenced, not just the main characters, but supporting characters, stuff like that. This kind of stuff was really unheard of. And like that, that you know, when I talk about how Star Wars Episode Four is more iconic than it is good, that's what I mean by iconic, right? This is a movie that drastically changed like the landscape uh, for further superhero movies. But I also think that Spider-Man 1 is extremely good, right? Uh, and I think Spider-Man Homecoming falls in a kind of close third behind those two. And then you've kind of got a gulf, and then you've got Spider-Man 3, and then you've kind of got another gulf, and then you have the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, and do you want to give a word on Marvel movies before I give my takes? Oh, shit, yeah, and also Marvel movies. Yeah, this is also pretty middle of the... I mean, so uh, I think it does a couple of things exceptionally well for a Marvel movie, uh, but it is also very middle of the pack. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of Marvel movies, because I think it flubs a couple. I mean, we're going to talk about some of this stuff later. Um, it kind of uh, flubs a couple of the big major character stuff uh, by kind of just engaging in it. It has very typical Marvel problems, as far as I'm concerned, um, which is you know pretty 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 standard, I guess, at this point. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put it up there with the Winter Soldier, right? Which I think of uh, as kind of the exemplar super best. Of these, uh, of these Marvel movies. I wouldn't put it up there with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, or Guardians of the Galaxy 1, which I also think is is super solid. Uh, or even kind of Civil War. It's actually a little bit about Civil War level, maybe. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's kind of middle of the pack of both. Alright. Well, so... Uh, yeah. Disclosure, I've never seen either of the Amazing Spider-Man movies. So I cannot give my opinion on those. And I haven't To be seen... fair, disclosure, I've not seen the second one. But uh, I did see the first one. Um, I also haven't seen uh, Spider-Man 1 or 2 or 3 since any of those movies have come out. Um, but from what I remember of those, I like this movie better than those movies. Um, you can make your arguments about like the perfection of Spider-Man 2 or whatever, but I was also like in high school when I saw those, and I, I barely remember anything about them other than Tobey Maguire being an emo kid in Spider-Man 3. That movie, um, that by the way, I just need to, I need to say this because this is what people remember about Spider-Man Three. You know how cringeworthy that moment was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. People use that to kind of attack Spider-Man Three and be like, "Oh my God, what were they thinking? This is so cringe." 
it's awful it's terrible but what they don't really realize is that that's the point of that scene and so i almost wanted to take this opportunity to kind of like clear the air and come to that the defense of spider-man 3 a little bit uh, <laughs> because even though I think so, so are we gonna have is, are we gonna have an episode of this podcast where you defend like the room as a cinematic masterpiece? No, no, no. I, and, and this is because <laughs> this, this is, is kind of like the trend this I'm isn't seeing. Even me doing kind of like a Batman versus Superman defense, where I take a movie that is popularly considered to be bad and to show why I think it is at the very least average. Uh, or, you know, good but flawed, which is, you know, kind of the way that I think about it, right? Spider-Man 3 is not that. It is this specific scene that kind of is misunderstood in the context, okay. right? I think there's a lot of stuff that's really great about, great about Spider-Man 3, right? The Sandman sequence, the first fight with Sandman, but basically everything with Harry Osborn and basically everything with Venom, which are two huge plot, plot threads, right, is just awful. And that kind of squarely puts it in bad territory for me. Um, so I think it's a bad movie, but that scene in particular, the super cringeworthy th- scene that everybody thinks about when Spider-Man 3 gets brought up, right? That scene is supposed to be that cringeworthy because Peter Parker is a huge fucking dork, right? And he thinks he's cool now because he has the black suit. And so he's doing all of these things that he thinks of as being cool, but because he's a huge dork and nerd, he doesn't understand what cool is. So it's really awkward and cringy. That's the point of that scene. Um, And so I think I get on Spider-Man 3's case all you want, right? I think that movie got destroyed by the executives and kind of the studio mandate. Avi Arad, who is famously an awful, awful producer for the Spider-Man movies, uh, is, you know, he deserves all the hate in the world for that kind of thing. But that scene is not as bad as you think it is. All right. Well, you know, (laughs) good, good to know it. That won't affect my, I think, the bigger point I want to make, which is I think... Spider-Man is one of the top Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Um, I'm going to disagree with you there. Um, I'm also going to say some things that you will probably disagree with because I think I think Winter Soldier is a vastly overrated movie. I think it's good, oh, but I don't man. think it's that good. <laughs> um, and so for me, this is this is a top movie for me. It is not the top movie because the top uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie for me is Ant-Man. Um, but I'm surprised that it's Ant-Man, actually, given how much you enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians 1 and 2 are right behind it, right? Like, this is yeah. like... No, yeah, I mean, but when, and I actually think Ant-Man is good. In fact, I think Ant-Man is probably bad. Mm. So the thing about probably Ant-Man... Than this one, yeah. So So the thing about Ant-Man for me, and maybe this 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 is kind of, like, has, has shaded me in the wrong way, is I was not expecting anything from Ant-Man, and then I went and saw it, and I was just blown away by how kind of lovable Paul Rudd is. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie kind of like started my love affair with Paul Rudd. Uh, and I, I got really into most of his other work after that. <laughs> um, just because, oh yeah. Did you uh, watch Clueless? Um, I have not watched Clueless, but I've watched, uh, oh, like, wow, really? That movie's like hardcore famous with Paul Rudd. Um, I, what, what did I watch? I watched Went Hot American Summer. I watched, um, what's, what's the, uh, the one where he's, it's, it's like, a. It's it's by the by like Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter. It's it's the movie where Little him models? and no no it's it's him and uh, and oh, what's Leslie Nope's real name? Only uh, Polar. Yeah. Oh it, oh my God, we came together. Yeah, that one. Yes, yeah. that movie was so good. <laughs> I quote that movie on a regular basis actually uh, because uh, I mean it really snuck up on me because a friend of mine. 
I was talking about it, and I was talking about movies that I like see on Hulu and Netflix all the time, but I never watch because they look awful. And I'm like, and like, and I referenced it as like, and this I is just like the grossest looking worst rom-com like the poster is just the two of them looking at each other like come on right you know and i was using it as an example of like you know this is what wrote shitty rom-coms look like essentially <laughs> and then my friend who had seen it was like no dude you don't understand you need to watch this movie because it is much better than you think it is or whatever and we talked about it and then he quoted me this line this line which is t- like uh, you know it's two married couples out for you know like out for dinner or whatever and it's bill Hader's character and they're talking about and they're talking about sex as like a married couple and they're like ah ha ha you know like they're having these kinds of like superficial conversations aha for laughing he's like ha, ha, i'm married so taking a stinky wet shit is better than sex <laughs> just that line is so funny so anyway i'm sorry wow what a fucking tangent that so yeah. that is so that's why you like ant-man yeah, that's uh, so Paul Rudd. Interestingly Rich, enough, okay. I think Ant Man and Spider Man do a very similar thing that I like a lot, which is add a lot of texture and dimension to the world itself of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I think the thing I really loved about Ant Man was kind of the like three dimensionality of uh, Hank Pym's interactions with Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the yeah. kind of the kind of stuff that they were talking about. Oh, I'm a founding member of Shield and doing all of these things. Ant-Man and the Wasp and how he hates Tony and stuff like that. I thought all of that was really important to kind of add in some extra shade that rounded out some of the way that we've looked at the Marvel Universe. I mean, to be honest, like, this is a kind of thing that I really go nuts for. The Incredible Hulk also did this, which is what I, is which is something that I like a lot. This is uh, kind fact, of like, it's kind of like Rogue One did for Star Wars. Like Exactly, show. right? In fact, to be honest with you, this is actually a huge pillar on which that I think Mass Effect 2 is good, right? It's the kind of thing where it takes everything you know about the world because it understands how how that world has been presented to you thus far and kind of turns it on its head a little bit to show you some of the, you know, to, to, to look in some of the shadows that that, that that, like, camera angle doesn't get to see, if that makes sense, right? Um... And that's why, and, that, and so that's something that, that Ant-Man does that I think is very, uh, that I think is very good. Okay, so... I'm going to roll this back to Spider-Man since this is ostensibly what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> um, but um, I actually wanted to challenge you on a statement. I think Spider-Man actually avoids making a lot of the mistake, like some of the some of the more the worst mistakes that Marvel movies tend to make. And, and this is primarily in terms of the Vulture, the villain. Okay, um, they I agree made a villain 100. If it if it is this movie does not have the typical Marvel villain problem. Yeah, it, it yeah. it's it's a decent villain makes you feel for them and it doesn't fucking kill them at the end, which is you know, like, it, it, you know I, I I saw him like die. I'm like oh there's gonna be another like Marvel villain that I liked that I can't ever see again because you know Jessica Jones killed him or you know he died in the fire or whatever. Um. And I was very happy that he's that he's a different type of villain, and he and he's a surviving villain. He's somebody that you can even start to build up a little bit, because um, I think the Marvel universe has been sorely lacking those. Um, yeah, they basically just have Loki. Yeah, to they be have. Honest. Yeah. And, and and I guess uh, what's his name? Um, Yondu, kind of. Not I mean, yet. Like a good guy, good guy now. No, no, no. The um the the the, the Infinity Gauntlet dude. Why can't I remember? Oh, his name? Thanos. Thanos. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah Thanos. Um, but yeah, also, um, this movie, I, I, I can't quite put my finger on what did it for me, 
but this movie built tension well. Um, Ooh, this is this interesting. Is, this is the only Marvel movie I, I could remember going to and feeling my heart beating in my chest as things happened. Um, I think a lot of that might have had to do with kind of the the, the big twist, which is that um, that the Vulture is is the uh, love interest's father. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. Did you see that Me coming? Me neither. I also I also really enjoyed that twist. I actually kind of think basically. Well, okay. I actually don't want to say this. I like the Vulture a lot. I think the Vulture is very good. Um, I think it's the best of... bird-based superhero he's ever Michael Keaton's ever been. Take that fucking bird, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I I think that Michael Keaton. First of all, I think Michael Keaton sells the hell out of it. Right. He really kind of goes. I have to say, uh, the, a lot of the performances in this movie really went balls to the wall when I was almost expecting them to phone it in. Like I was expecting Michael Keaton to phone it in a little bit, but no, he came like bags packed, ready to go. You know what I mean? Same thing with Robert Downey Jr. Like he's not just collecting a paycheck here. He comes to to win, right? Uh, which I really am on board for. Um, but it does have some low-level... He Like, I think the Vulture has some kind of low-level character problems in how they portrayed him, right? Uh, like, I, like, something that I think uh, doesn't let his character coalesce very well is you never quite see the way... Like, the toll that it takes on his guys. You know what I mean? Like, if his motivation is this kind of, like, blue-collar thing of, like... I'm the foreman and these guys are depending on me. They, they, you know, like they have kids kind of thing, but then you never really show those guys or their kids or anything like that. Right. All you kind of see are thugs and that the fat guy who's the tinker, right. Who, and, and none of these guys, any build up any pathos that you kind of transfer into the vulture where you're kind of like, you know, like I get why he's doing this. Yeah. It's a bad thing to sell these crazy super weapons to criminals or anything like that, but he wants to keep all of his friends employed sort of thing. Right. Uh, and then the other thing is it's also, he seems to be very clearly living, you know, like a high class, high caliber life. Like, Liz Allen lives in the suburbs, and her house is really fucking nice. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, and that was just a very jarring set of things when they were kind of going for this, like, working, you know, working class yeah. left behind thing. They, they probably needed a scene where he was, like, leaving, leaving his shitty house to go to this job site where he's, like... Where he, like, reassures his wife that, you know, he's... he's I've I finally made it. I've made this great deal where I get to clean up... Exactly. Uh, I know. Um, exactly. That is exactly what it needed. And then also, and I, th- this is the other thing that I don't quite get about like this interaction specifically, because um, this kind of thing is so up Spider-Man's alley. I mean, this is one of the things that Spider-Man 2 does really well is kind of show you Peter's life. I mean, Peter is living in the rat holiest of rat hole apartments and he's a pizza delivery guy and he can barely even hold that job. You know what I mean? As he's making pennies at the Daily Bugle, right? Like this really kind of, you know, uh, uh, like working, like super like low, low income kind of working level, right? That stuff is all gone, right? There's no money troubles. There's not, there's none of that kind of, oh, I need, you know, I really need to keep this hundred dollars for Aunt May kind of stuff. And it would have it would have worked so perfectly in here, um, so I don't know that 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 was that was kind of my big thing about like the vulture. Yeah. Um, um, in- the, the only other thing I'll say is that like, I like this is this is kind of nitpicky, but it but it brought me out of it. But kind of like my immediate response of them like seizing the like the 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 site from them mm. after they like, he's like oh I got a contract for this with the city is like 
don't know. Maybe I just know a little bit too much about civil procedure, but it's like they w- <laughs> they wouldn't just take that without like you know he's like oh, I spent all this money. And they would have been like okay, we'll reimburse you like because it's not that much money for the again nitpicky and maybe I just know a little bit too much, but it just kind of like struck me as like there's no way anybody would one take this job from them and not reimburse them in any way, and two go and like be like like spit in their faces the way they did in like that like that that mean spirited fucking way. Yeah, right? and I, like, you know, and I, yeah, and I also was a little bit of like, why isn't this Tony Stark? Like, I liked it when he punched the guy. You know what I mean? Because I see how that that could kind of sour sour things. And I think it also follows this to completion, right? I like the idea of Tony Stark walking in there and doing his kind of you know swagger thing and being like, all right, all of you guys, you know, all of this is mine now. Skedaddle, sort of thing. You know, we have a paycheck for you on the way out. And then, uh, and then you know, you kind of have like salt of the earth, Michael Keaton being like, hey, whoa, you know, like these are my guys. They're not your guys, kind of thing. And then you you set that class conflict almost in the yeah. beginning and you have Michael Keaton punch Tony Stark, right? And then you have Tony Stark say, hey, listen, all these checks you guys are about to get, gone, right? You're out on your asses sort of thing, right? Because Tony Stark kind of displays those like petty yeah. vindictive qualities. You know what I mean? All of that stuff it's, would have been really strong, Especially at the point where where it's happening, right? Like, mm. like because you, you can have that happen and Tony goes through his own kind of arc off screen in the other movies that you would have presumably as a fan have seen and he comes back as a nicer per maybe maybe they just couldn't rely on like I I think that could have worked, right? Like he's kind yeah. of an asshole. Um and like, you know, you can even kind of tell this through like if you wanted to sell this as like Tony Stark going through an arc, you could like tell it through like a Tony Stark flashback almost, right? Like he's mm. he, he recounts and he's like, uh, uh I, I, you know, like I fucked that up, I should I, you know, like he feels bad about it or something. You, you yeah, can, yeah, definitely. Um, because because I think that that's like a big part of Tony Stark's like multi movie arc is being less shitty of a person. Definitely. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I we have gotten off track and I totally cut you off. Um. So what was the what were the moments that that you think built tension really well? Um. Like like I said, I, I was I was having trouble putting a finger on it, but like there were moments where I like. I guess this movie was just kind of less predictable overall than I found a lot of these Marvel movies to be. Okay. Right? Like, like, kind of like, how how is he going to handle things, right? Like, I didn't know how he was going to handle uh, the prom, right? Like, um, like, I, 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 like a, again, a really big part of this was, was the twist of, of, of uh, Michael Keaton being um, her den. I, I guess I found the, the car ride to be like, super super tense and like as as like things got pieced together right right and as he got out of the car right like is, is he gonna go to the prom is is he going to you know deal with that later and just i don't know i i i felt that, that whole kind of sequence was well done okay um, again I, I couldn't really tell you why yeah it's good so you know i have to say how have you read a lot of spider-man comic books i have not that kind of, well, okay, so the car ride is, was really good, right? Um, but this kind of tension between, oh, will Peter go to the decathlon or not? Will he go to homecoming or not? Kind of stuff. This is very classic, classic Spider-Man, right? Which I like. Um, one of the things that I think this movie feels a lack of, that, that I really felt a lack of, right? There's two things. The first is Uncle Ben, right? I think this movie really lacks kind of this powerful emotional center 
um, almost. And they try and replace that a little bit with kind of the Tony Stark stuff, but I just really... And I don't want that... And it sucks because I don't want them to do Uncle Ben again. We've seen Uncle Ben a million times sort of thing. And I don't want, like that to loom over things but it kind of felt like they took a lot of pressure off of peter that is typically you know right on his back right um it's the uncle ben stuff which leads to kind of aunt may stuff like he always has to be worrying about aunt may because she's old and she's sickly and she can barely hold a job because she's old and she's sickly right and all this kind of stuff um and then uh be and and because they aged aunt may down and by the way weirdly sexualized her like the whole movie i read a review or actually i watched a review on youtube where a person was kind of like yeah like this was a little bit weird right because like nobody in universe is supposed to know that she's like an old is she supposed to be an old lady right like but everybody keeps talking about how hot she is um Anyway, uh, but, but then there's also no J. Jonah Jameson in the Daily Bugle, right? Because that it really adds a lot of kind of, you know, like pressure and tension to Peter that, you know, he has to juggle being a student, being kind of an adult in the house uh, with Aunt May, uh, being a reporter, right? Being a photographer uh, for the Bugle and being Spider-Man, right? And it's juggling these responsibilities in the kind of great power, great responsibility, you know, game that that creates tons of tension in Spider-Man stories. And this, by the way, is something that's actually fairly unique to Spider-Man. Most other superheroes don't have concerns like this because they don't, like, they're not kind of digging at this particular thing. And it felt like, to me, in this movie, they were trying to get at, they were trying to get at that stuff, right? But without setting up the pressures that's necessary in order to, in order to kind of, like, sell that tension and this moment so that you could really kind of see the um uh you could really kind of like see you could see him struggle with the well do i go to the academic decathlon and make sure my friends don't hate me right or do i go fight the vulture across town right do i stay at the party do i go fight the vulture or do i go invest investigate this explosion or whatever do i stay in detention or do i go to the staten island you know like it, it, there was just tons of these uh, these kinds of things, and they weren't set up with uh, with enough. Uh, it, it's almost like a spring or like a rubber band, right? But it's like a rubber a rubber band that you don't stretch out far enough, and so when it when it snaps, it's like, eh, almost. Yeah, does that make sense? I, yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. Um, and I, I, I actually if thought... I would see the same thing if I wasn't so well versed in Spider Man comics, I guess. Um, I don't. I I feel like the I see what you're saying, but I feel like his kind of, uh, his school life does enough of that on his own, at least for me, right? Like, kind of, like, the pressure between being a normal kid and being a superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's also maybe a slightly different story. I, 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 now that you say it, I, I think you're right to a certain extent. Um, I also thought that they were gonna maybe either kill or maim Liz Allen in that, in that scene, um, mm -hmm. in, in, in the, in the tower, and that was gonna be his kind of, like, come to Jesus moment. Um, rather than the, the boat, I guess, which was what it was supposed to be. Um, uh, see, I have to say, the thing that kills me is I saw a trailer that totally spoiled that whole boat stuff. Yeah. I actually think that, so, there's two things about the boat that undermine it a little bit for me, because I think from, like, from kind of a, a vacuum seal, right, I think that boat stuff is actually really strong and works really well to kind of deliver the, um, uh, that, like, punch of, like, Spider-Man is getting in over his head and he really needs to think about it more than he, than he has been kind of thing. 
Uh, but the two things that the two things that fucks with me is that this kind of Spider-Man holding two things has been done twice before already. It was kind of the main climax in the first Spider-Man movie where the trolley cable, um, where he's like holding up the trolley cables uh, and the Green Goblin is there kind of thing. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and then in Spider-Man 2, there's the thing with the runaway train, right? And I think in Spider-Man 2, that thing with the runaway train is per- is perfect it's so good that whole that whole thing and so like i can understand trying to like ape it and get at that but it always just i couldn't help but like just be nope. like they really did this better than the other one no, man, sort you, of thing you, you need your crucifixion imagery yeah in every, right? in, every, in, every, in every in every fucking superhero movie you know i have to say the other thing that just occurred to me just now is that this movie kind of has the same like plot almost as the green as the spider-man one green goblin because it also goes through the same thing where, like, the Green Goblin figures out, uh, like, figures out that he's Spider-Man kind of thing, and he is the father of one of Peter's best friends, I guess, is, uh, you know, not yeah, uh, yeah. not Liz, but uh, but it's Harry's dad uh, sort of thing. And, there, and like, there is that, like, you know, very personal tension there. In a way, I almost kind of feel like the Vulture is a riff on that. Um, because it, you know, like it's he different. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think that this is bad. Right. I think that it's actually kind of cool that they almost remixed the, this typical kind of straightforward green goblin stuff, um, into the vulture with Liz Allen, with, uh, 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 Liz Allen and, uh, tombs, whatever, whatever the guy's name is. Yeah. Um, that actually really makes me like the movie a lot better <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. Um, uh, what was I? What was I gonna say? Um, the so again, this is gonna sound nitpicky, but this is this is one of the things that sticks out to me. It's like, why didn't Tony Stark tell Peter Parker that he had told the FBI about Tombs? Yeah, <laughs> I actually caught that same. Well, not it's not really a plot hole, um, uh, but I did kind of catch that that same thing. I have a feeling that Tony is. I it, it I I was I was thinking about this in the theater, and I actually kind of. Uh, like dwelled on it for too long, I think, because I think I missed something. Like afterwards, I was just kind of like spaced. But uh, I think it's actually relatively in character enough for Tony to not to for Tony to say something along the lines of, "Listen, there are people that are going to handle it. Don't worry about it, right?" And Peter doesn't, uh, you know. Peter hears the Avengers are not handling it, and so I, you know, and so I have to almost. Yeah, yeah, um, no. I, I... So I agree with you on a kind of Tony Stark level. It's just one of the. This is a common kind of plot contrivance, which is, people yeah. call it like you know, like just fucking talk or whatever, right? Where like mm-hmm. these big pro- plot problems can kind of be resolved by people just sitting down and talking with each other. And it's not that bad here, but it's just one of those things that kind of popped out at me. It's like you know, you, you could have avoided uh, this. The actually, there's another version of this that I think was awful. Which was the uh, like the Ned talking over Peter as he calls him on his cell phone. Cell phones have really been a really tough thing for movies to figure out, like instantaneous right. communication over really long distances. Um, but the kind of thing where like Peter calls Ned and then Ned is talking and blah 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 blah, blah you know, and doing the motor mouth and not listening. I hate that. I think that's really, uh, I just think that's like cliche and bad and a really stupid way to resolve the. Um, uh, like a really stupid way to kind of resolve that issue. I much prefer, 
my phone is out of battery that I do that kind of I'm, thing because you know what? My phone is out of battery happens to all of us constantly. I, I was going to say, like, you could have easily done, like, you know, oh, the phone being in the backpack next to the magical crystal made it not work. And, like, that's, like, also kind of it's, – it's, it's less – I feel like it's less contrived than I'm actually picking up the phone. Um, yeah, or also, you know, just something – Also, know, I don't believe that he doesn't have anybody else's telephone number. yeah yeah that's definitely true though i have to say i really like the radiation thing um i thought that that was very i thought that was very clever um in fact i actually kind of liked the whole washington monument situation the thing okay so the thing i don't like about the washington monument and kind of like the the other washington stuff like i actually do have to say the whole thing where he's stuck in the um where he's like stuck in the the vault kind of is actually awesome um, I like that because this gets at a lot of like other superheroes don't have the same kind of problem, but because Peter always has these like warring responsibilities that he constant like that he constantly has to be responsible for. Um, you know, the idea of getting knocked out and sitting in a truck for a couple of hours is hugely detrimental to him because there's all these other people that are waiting. You know, because he's always trying to like you know he's doing like the the bring two two dates to the prom kind of thing, but like right. with superheroing instead of uh, two dates, two dates. <laughs> um, but I really hate the tech suit. I think the tech suit sucks, and I'm really glad that they went back to like the shitty suit, even though the shitty sh- suit is shitty uh, because I don't I. Spider-Man is supposed to be more low-tech than than that. I, yeah. I like... I you, know, know. you know what this says to me? It kind of... It says to me that the tech suit gets used in crossover movies where he's not a main character. Um, as kind of a way to kind of explain away whatever they wanted to fucking do. Uh, I was thinking it, about that same kind of thing. Yeah. And it, I also think it gets a little bit at, like, the kind of... I mean, I think somebody in marketing kind of had this genius idea, which was, well, listen... All the kids love Tony Stark, but Tony Stark is like a middle-aged adult. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, why don't we give Spider-Man a Tony Stark suit that talks to him and does all this cool, crazy gadgetry shit? And then we you can jerk I mean? off the comic book fans with a reference to the Iron Spider or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, and it's not even a reference to the Iron Spider. The Iron Spider suit didn't even work like anything like that. And I, and okay, and I also want to say, I'm sure there are... Well, I'm actually sure there are probably not comic book diehards that are listening to this cast waiting to correct me. Yeah, Peter does use gadgets, right? Like, part of his things is that he, like, tinkers. But it's always very, like, lo-fi, and it's always him. You know, like, one of the things that I actually liked a lot about the Amazing Spider-Man movies is that Peter Parker sits down and he figures out his web shooter fluid stuff with, like, the help of his dad's notes and shit like that. Right? Uh, Which is pulled straight from the comics and I think is really cool. Uh, And so, you know... This kind of thing, right, adding a little light, adding little spider trackers. I like it when that kind of stuff is do-it-yourself Peter Parker being, you know, thinking outside the box because, you know, he is really smart and he's really good at that. And I think that that's a skill that you want to emphasize. And so the idea that Tony just gave him all this stuff um, bugs me a little bit. Yeah, no, th- th- that's fair. Um, that's, 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 that's really fair, actually. Uh, what um, did you think of the action in this movie? Um, I thought it was all right. Like I, I, like, I didn't think it was exceptional, and I didn't think it was bad. Um, like it, it didn't bother me like the way that like kind of a lot of the extended action scenes in Wonder Woman did, but uh, it didn't seem particularly great to me either. Okay. Yeah, I think it was. 
It was a lot like that. I actually kind of hate it because there's a lot of things that I thought were very cool that I wish they did more with. Um, in the sense of like... Oh, excuse me. Uh, in the sense of like... Um, you know, like the shocker is in there. And by the way, those are not the shocker's powers. And I kind of hate it because I really like the shocker's powers. I actually really like the shocker in general. Um, but, uh, you know, like... I just, I, I, I saw small things that I thought were really neat that they never really did much with. And, like, there wasn't, it, it almost kind of felt like they just didn't have a lot of good ideas for how the Vulture and Spider-Man would really go at it. And you don't see the kind of thing that gets done a lot, um, which I think is great. Like, for instance, have you ever played the Spider-Man 1, like, PS2 game? No. Or, like, original Xbox game? It has this fantastic thing where you're spider-man and you're you're like web slinging through downtown manhattan um and you're flying out and the vulture is flying ahead of you and you're trying to like web sling faster than him kind of thing and that is the kind of stuff that i really want to see out of the vulture and spider-man but they kept having the vulture and spider-man fight in these really big open spaces rather than in the city itself there there, Uh, there was like very little manhattan in this yeah yeah, there was very little Manhattan, very little of that kind of like web web slinging stuff. Yeah. And, uh, 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 favorably, like if I'm going to be favorable to, it, I'm going to say this is an attempt for them to not just do Spider Man again. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I do think I do think it does lose something uh, as a result. Um, yeah, and like uh, and so that and so like that kind. Of, I don't know. I I don't, I don't think any of the action was explicitly bad. Like it's not like I can sit down and iron out like specific shots or scenes or cadences or whatever that I would, that I would say. Um, but it was also kind of uninspired and uninventive. It was, uh, it was kind of unremarkable. Like I'm, I'm yeah. thinking of it and like, I don't think I could think of like a good, like, like when I think of the action scenes from the movie, the best I can come up with is, is like the, the Washington monument scene. Um, that's like, like there, there's no like real, like there's not a lot of like action action in this movie. Um, yeah, I think my favorite thing is when the vulture picks up a car with his talon feet thing, but then they don't even really do anything with that. Yeah. Uh, cause it just kind of like rolls off the ship. It's not like he's picking up cars and throwing them at Peter as kind of like collateral damage, which I think would have been cool. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, it was something that it was something that I I came out of that movie and I was kind of like, huh. Especially after we just had two Marvel movies back to back, which had really great action. I think, which were Doctor Strange and um, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I think both of those movies had fantastic action. Um, I'd agree with you. Uh, um, in in comparison, what did you think of uh, MJ? Oh, I don't know what the. F- I don't know what the fuck this is. I, uh, so, okay, okay. So, I, I, I want to explain a little bit. So, there's a couple of different, like, you know, Spider-Man continuity is Spider-Man continuity. Most people, actually, and for instance, one of the reasons why the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies get out of high school very quickly, right? Tobey Maguire is in high school and, uh, in Spider-Man 1, but by Spider-Man 2, uh, you know, he's taking classes at Empire University with Dr. Kirk Connors, um, and he is, um, uh, and you know, he's gotten his, his, his apartment and everything like that. You know, he's basically an adult. This is because this is most of like a lot of the really classic Spider-Man stuff happened when he got to college. 
um, and he, which was at the fictional Empire University in downtown Manhattan. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and so this is what a lot you like. This is what a lot of like old school kind of Spider-Man fans like know of him. Uh, eventually, you know, obviously, uh, you know, but like Spider-Man and Mary Jane, like they don't go to, they don't go to high school together. Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man don't even go to high school together. Right. Liz Allen, uh, and Flash Thompson are, are like there from, uh, from high school, but he just doesn't spend a lot of time in high school in like the old school comics. Uh, okay. Can, can he... I interrupt you for a second? Sure. Can you explain to me who Liz Allen and Flash Thompson are? Cause like with a name like Flash Thompson, I knew he had to be somebody, but I have no fucking clue Flesh who he Thompson is. Flesh Thompson is the traditional big bully of Spider-Man. Uh, like, he's the guy that's like, oh, what a dorky nerd, Peter. You know, he, like, he's a he's like a famous jock. Um, he actually gets a lot of dimension in a lot of the comics in certain ways. He be So, in, um, in it was something that happens is he joins the army, and then he goes to Iraq and loses both of his legs and becomes like, like a like a paraplegic i guess uh or like an amputee kind of thing and they lean really heavily on that until he becomes he gets the van the venom symbiote and becomes kind of like a military version of venom almost um uh and then liz allen is just kind of like peter's first crush that he moves past pretty quickly in most of the comics because okay. the comics like the um like the love interests of gwen stacy and mary jane a lot uh, but then there's an alternate continuity called the Ult Ultimate Spider-Man. And Ultimate right. Spider-Man, I have a huge is like, I really, I, I'm really personally invested in it because it, it was the very first comic that ever got me into comics. Right, like behind me, I have over a hundred issues of that just like sitting in a long box, uh, because these were the comics that they had, you know, like they had the first six volumes or whatever in my uh, in my like school library or whatever. And this is Spider-Man in high school, but Spider-Man goes to high school with. Mary Jane, who is his, who is a kind of also a little bit of a nerd, but is his childhood best friend. Um, well, it's and a they end up Spider-Man too, right? It's Miles Morales. That's way later. It starts okay. off Peter, right? It's Peter okay. for about a hundred and seventy-five issues, and then it becomes Miles. Peter dies, and then uh, okay. Miles, Miles picks up the uh, picks up the stack, and then Gwen Stacy also comes in. But Gwen Stacy is never a love interest. The other love interest is Kitty Pride from the X-Men, right? Because Peter has that very typical thing where it's like. Well, I can't both date you and be a superhero because supervillains keep finding out who I am and kidnapping and like kidnapping you kind of thing, right? And so this is the this is the Spider-Man 1 thing where the Green Goblin kidnaps Mary Jane and then at right, the end right. of the movie they don't get together because he realizes that it would be the irresponsible thing to do, right? He has to sacrifice this bit of himself in order to like it's the fulf the fulfillment of this great power, great responsibility stuff. Anyway, um and so he starts dating Kitty Pride, who is an X-Man. She's also a superhero. They work together, uh, and uh, and she can take care of herself, kind of, you know, like kind of thing. Um, so this kind of high school is like a weird, like version. Oh, and also Ned is Miles Morales's best friend. Ned never never shows up except for in the Miles Morales set of comics where he is, uh, like Ultimate Spider-Man comics where he is. Uh, Miles' best best friend, right? Does he does he have a different? I, I read somewhere something that like there's like two characters, one that's named Ned, that's kind of a minor character, but there's another character named like Gee or something. That that oh is, shit, 
more the Maybe same, you're right. The same type of character, but he takes Ned's name for this movie. Yeah, I think that that actually does make sense because I think you're right. I think he is named something different. Typically, what you get is you get Harry Osborn in that in okay. that slot, yeah. but Harry Osborn kind of as like the cool kid who hangs out with Flash Thompson and Liz Allen and everybody like that. Um, but also likes Peter. Uh, canonically, in the comics, it's because Peter helps him with his homework and stuff like that. Um, because K- Harry obviously has all these father issues and is trying to impress his dad, and so he, you know, he relies on Peter to be to be good at you know to like be good at stuff. Um, and I really felt that there was a big loss in terms of not having uh, not having that Harry Osborn character and replacing him with Ned. Um, to be fair, there's also a big gain from it. I think a lot of comedy comes from that, and I yeah, never really like the kind of uh, uh, like the kind of guy in the chair or whatever guy the uh, guy behind the computer or whatever they call it. Yeah, guy. Um, he calls the guy in the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah guy. Like, like I like that guy in the chair relationship. It reminds me a lot of the old, the old Static Shock cartoons. Um, oh man, Static is that, is Shock that a, is that a blast from the past for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because what was that guy's name? Gear. I, I think is he eventually becomes his own like tech superhero, and I think his name is Gear. But for the first couple of things, he is um, uh, he's the guy in the chair. Yeah, is he the one with the racist dad? I don't remember. In Static Shock, I th- I think there's an episode oh, of Static man. Shock where one of the characters has a racist dad, and like he's like he, like Static Shock <laughs> goes to sleep over, and the guy's like oh, maybe you shouldn't, and then like. And then, like, the uh, the dad comes home and he's like, oh! And then he, like, they don't say anything explicit because it's a kid's show, obviously. But he's like, oh, <laughs> that, 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 that kind of person in this house with the rap music! And he goes home and he's like, and he's like, oh, I understand. <laughs> you know, like, he's like, I'm, so- I'm sorry about my dad. I can't, you know. It, it, I, I saw a clip from it, like, maybe, I don't know. I saw a clip from it on Reddit at some point. Um... I would almost kind of not be surprised. I mean, Static, so Static Shock is, I mean, he has been integrated into the DC Comics universe at this point, but Static Shock is actually a character from an alternate universe called Milestone Comics, uh, which was made in the early 90s by a writer named Dwayne McDuffie and a couple of other uh, predominantly black um, uh, writers who were basically like, you know, there needs to be more diversity uh, and we want to make role models for kids like, you know, like we were sort of thing. Um, and so they made St- Static Shock. Is, is Static is the most famous character, but there's also Icon, uh, who's popped up in like Young Justice. Uh, also, Rocket uh, is is from that universe. Uh, Hardware, who's kind of... Um, uh, uh, he's kind of like a he, he has like a like a techie almost like Iron Man suit. There's a whole bunch of them, um, and not just for you know. There's a, there's like a Latino one uh, and like Asian American ones. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them. Anyway, DC Comics eventually like bought them out and uh, and like integrated them into into the universe. So that kind of like representation that by the way was all throughout Static Shock. I mean, it's not just that Static himself was black, but also most of his villains. Uh, you know, were black and they were uh, uh, they were very good about their diversity a little before like the the woke the woke generation infected Spider Man Homecoming with its also incredibly diverse cast. Oof. Speaking of of wokeness, I was curious when 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 Mich- Michelle says that she doesn't <laughs> want to celebrate something built by slaves. So I went and read about the Washington Monument. 
Um, and I, I would have to say, to give them credit, like, kind of wagging your hand like security guard did is about accurate. It was not built directly by slaves, but the stone was sourced from the south, mm-hmm. and so it was probably mined by a fair number of slaves. So, like, waggle your hand a little bit. Accurate depiction. Good job. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this kind of thing is very not so typical of... Uh, of Like, MJ is kind of simultaneously, like supposed to be essentially like a nerd fantasy wet dream sort of thing at the same time as not it's 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 kind of confusing mj in the comics so what happens is mj in the comics doesn't show up for a long time in fact she's a running joke for a really long time because aunt may keeps wanting to set peter up with and with mj um and and the joke is kind of like well you never want to date someone that your mom right uh, you know that your old grandmother is like oh you should date my friend Agatha's granddaughter kind of thing right right um, but then you know the, and then the joke is he open you know like one ep- one one issue he opens the door MJ is there she's super hot she says looks like you hit the tiger jackpot you know she's very cool she's she's kind of like a party girl right. she ends up becoming a very famous supermodel and actress no literally right like so it is wait, very wait, much so- wish sorry. fulfillment <laughs> sorry I got to stop you for just a second. You just hit the tiger jackpot. Did you say that backwards? Uh, looks like you hit the jackpot, tiger. Okay, you you said you looks like you hit the tiger jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very famous. That's a very famous line uh, from MJ. It's like her first introduction is with like you hit the jackpot, tiger, and she calls Peter Tiger all the time. But like it is one of those things where it's like if you have any engagement with like the subtext of some of this stuff, like <laughs> you know, like. It was very commercial at the time, and the wish fulfillment of Peter Parker, right, who at the time reading comics is incredibly dorky and right, not right, cool, right. you know what I mean? And so it's really easy to project yourself on him, and all of a sudden he gets a super hot, supermodel, actress, girlfriend, right, that he eventually marries kind of thing. And so there's that kind of thing where, like, MJ wants to be, like, very hip and very cool, and she's... Uh, uh, and so there, there's like kind of that aspect of it, um, but she's also a very reliable kind of almost support structure. And this really comes out in the Ultimate Comics, where um, you know MJ is also hot, right? Um, but she's very kind of sure of herself uh, and does it, you know, and like the things that she is interested in and uh, and values almost kind of aligns a little bit with this like wokeness. She kind of almost has this like Lois Lane spunky reporter thing going on. Like instead of wanting to be an actress, um, like she does in the mainstream comic books, this Mary Jane wants to be uh, a, a journalist, right? And wants to, you know, and is like doing like little tiny news segments for, you know, uh, for the uh, uh, like for like the school news, and by the way, something that I really want to mention as literally my very favorite thing is the little info things that they have of like the the student news organization who are have like the really bad oh, green like the, screen behind them. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're really uncoordinated and really bad, and like the thing where it's like where he's like. Thank you, Spider-Man. And she's like, thank you, Spider-Man. And it just is completely not in sync and awful. Yeah. Like, I loved that. I thought that was hilarious. What a great detail. But anyway, and so that, and so, uh, and so Zendaya, if she is Mary Jane, even though I kept calling wait, her Michelle. Wait, even what, though Zendaya? I 
Yeah, is, yeah. Is, Zendaya is the name of the uh, the actress. Oh, okay. Um, right. Well, uh, she's she's MJ. She's not Mary Jane. She's Michelle, but she's yeah, MJ. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't. I really don't know how I feel about all this that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there's also, a lot of really great Spider. Also, she's what a stalker. She just like what? follows Peter around for half the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's true. I guess that's. At, at one point, she kind of like calls it out. She's like, "I'm not a stalker." Pretty clearly a stalker. <laughs> oh yeah, she's like, "I'm not obsessed with him or anything." Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's also uh, and like there's a lot of really great callouts here, right? Like the shocker is a very typical Spider-Man like C-list villain. Uh, he's actually used as a punchline in the Ultimate Comics a lot of the time because, like, when you need to have action in an issue but you're between arcs kind of thing and you just want to show, like, Spider-Man is web-slinging around and also fighting crime but he has, like, an internal monologue going about whatever it is that he's particularly worried about at this, like, at this date and time, he's probably going up against the Shocker. Uh, and they and he keeps going up against it and like he keeps fighting the shocker but like the shocker keeps getting out because they actually follow through on the kind of like yeah it's not really like there's nothing to prove that he was doing any of these things that he was doing and the extra judiciality of spider-man stuff means that he gets detained for a little bit but ultimately kind of released with mistrial because all the evidence is like yeah, fucked yeah. with and stuff like that you know what i mean like yeah police work doesn't really work that way you can't just web a guy to a wall with a note yeah, uh, uh, which the which these movies all gleefully ignore, but th like that specific comic doesn't. Um. I, I, uh, with the popularity of the movie, I saw on Twitter a couple panels. I was like, you know, I don't actually throw electricity with it. I vibrate the air. Is the person's Oh my white. god, that's literally from an. I literally own the comic book that that's from. That's an Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, it, 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 the the punchline is. Like, why are you call the shocker then? Why don't you call it the Vi? And he's like, "Don't say it." Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Um, all of this kind of stuff is, uh, um, like all that stuff is great. The guy at the end. Do you know Michael Mondo? Michael Mondo's the guy who shows up in the post credit scene with like the fucked up eye. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he plays a character called Mac Gargan, who is traditionally the Scorpion. Um, who is a character that has a great design and he's really like lasted forever. But the thing about Mac Gargan is that uh, the this is kind of like a weird comics thing. The Scorpion suit is funded by J. Jonah Jameson. And he like pays what? Mac Gargan to like go fight Spider-Man or something. But like, yeah, J. Jonah Jameson basically makes Mac Gargan a supervillain. Almost, and he's not—he's not a very like good one. But I think they're setting him up for the sequel, which is fine. I like the Scorpion a lot. You know, he looks cool. He—he—he he, he does neat things, and I like that tail and everything like that. Um, so you know, there's that. But yeah. I mean, and and so and so, there's a lot of these kinds of like small references. But it felt like they were really missing out on like core core Spider-Man stuff by. Uh, not having, you know, Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane in there, uh, or Harry Osborn, right? I mean, I think it's also okay to do something different. Like, I don't think that's the end of the world. Yeah. I mean, Liz Allen, I mean, okay, to be fair, Liz Allen is basically a one-for-one for, one for what Gwen Stacy ends up being in a lot of situations. Okay. Like, that kind of, like, girl-next-door overachieving thing is, like, right up her alley. Uh, unless you have, like, the super awesome Gwen Stacy from the comics who's like a super rebellious like punk rock almost uh anyway but yeah my final thought really is that it's good but it's not quite transcendent 
you know, I don't think like I don't think this is one that's going to like uh, super super you know last the test of time. The one thing I like about oh, it is that's that it really one thing shows I want... that Marvel is like learning. I guess I want I want to ask you one more thing. Do you think so? So like the speculation is that Donald Glover is going to be Miles Morales' uncle. Um, because he mentions he has a nephew and he's got like the right name. If mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm, yeah, he does. Yeah, I actually noticed that. That's another one, by the way. So, so what? What do you think of that? And do you think that's a good look for the series? I hopefully, I hope they do. Well, okay, I hope they do it. I like Miles Morales a lot. Um, what I am, I didn't really like Donald Glover doing that so what happens is you know so donald glover's uh character in the comics is like a kind of a small time thief who ends up stealing from oscorp and brings back one of the spiders like on his suit uh and it ends up biting miles but miles also has different like a different power set than peter um like i think oh, he really? can, like go invisible and stuff like that and he like shoots these venom things that like stun people something like that it's like it's it's weird um uh and um so uh, I do I do like that, and so he's almost kind of like set up as like the nemesis a little bit, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I think it is a good idea to do Miles Morales um, in theory, in practice. We'll see. They're also doing an animated one, uh, an animated um, uh, an animated Miles Morales movie that comes out like in two years or something like that. That's not set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I don't really know how that's all going to work out. I bet you they could do, like, Donald Glover's character as, like, a Venom or something. Um, Oof. I would be very interested to see... I mean, you know, Sony is moving forward with its own Venom movie where Tom Hardy is going to be Venom. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that in the MCU? I I think it's an awful idea. No, no. None none of these other ones are going to be in the MCU. Uh, This is just Sony trying to use its Spider-Man license. They're also doing one called, like, Black and Sable, or, like, Black and Silver, I think, which is based on the Black Cat... Who is, you know, obviously like a like a cat burglar, Spider Man villain, a lot like Catwoman, honestly. Wait, wait, wait. So this Venom movie isn't going to have Spider Man in it? No. It's just Venom. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's gonna be R rated and people are saying that it's gonna be kind of like a, a horror movie because they picked up a, a horror movie director, which I don't actually agree with because a lot of the times these indie horror movie directors get picked up. I mean, John Watts did a movie called Clown that's a horror movie. Before he did Spider-Man Homecoming. It's not like Spider-Man Homecoming was a fucking horror movie. Scott Derrickson, who did Doctor Strange, was a horror movie guy. Even James Gunn was a horror movie guy. Like, his big movie was called Slither from 2006. Uh, so they just kind of like picking up, you know, kind of indie indie directors who do these horror movies uh, more than anything else. Yeah, well. but yeah. So the, and then they and so the, and then it's the black cat and silver sable, which is just like, what the fuck are you thinking, Sony? How are you ever going to make these characters interesting? But hey, man, maybe maybe they will. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. I guess. Um, the one last thing that I wanted to mention is that this movie also did that thing that bugs me about Marvel movies, where they fuck their own like moments up. Because they want to go for kind of cheap shot laughs, and I hate it. And I want to point out two references to it. The first one was the thing where Happy is waiting in the bathroom, and then, like, the Asian kid walks out, right? I actually don't mind this so much kind of thing. Um, But the thing that I hate about it is that they then sit, you, you sit, the whole, the joke is like, 
30 seconds long and i'm just like if the asian guy just like walks out and they sit there and wait for a second and it's like beat and then they start talking kind of thing then i think it would have been fine and it would have been funny but it really kind of stopped the whole thing dead to sit there and watch this asian kid wash his hands and i was like why why do you always do this marvel and then the other one was is that i don't think the press conference should have been real real like yeah maybe it's a little bit kind of hokey or whatever but i think in a weird way having tony stark actually advocate for for fucking peter parker dropping out of school at 15 years old to join the avengers what they're like it's like they're doubling down on this thing that i railed against in the civil war review when i was like isn't it a little insane for tony stark to go to a by the way canonically 14 years old at the time kid and sign him up to go fight captain america overseas like are they like i guess they really want that to be part of his character i saw that i was just like why why did you do this why um like i get the moment and everything and i think the moment is good when you just have peter turn around and be like this was a test right and then tony like throws open the door and there's no press because obviously tony doesn't want him to drop out of school right that would have been good that would have been good tony you are a mildly responsible person stop putting children in like the line of fire ah I don't understand why they, they did it twice now. I don't understand. Anyway, we'll see what happens in Avengers Infinity War because apparently Tom Holland is going to be in this. I hope you like Thanos, Spider-Man, even though we just spent a whole movie establishing how you should be a low-level, ground-based kind of, you know, hero and not be doing big I, cosmic adventures with the fucking Avengers. I, I feel like you can... I feel like the model where, like, Tony calls him in for a special mission every once in a while can work for this, as in the crossover movies. Mm-hmm. Like, he, I think you can keep him on the ground for most of the time and let let um, let let Tony call him in by like, you know, super phones like you know, oh we we need to call on the kid or whatever and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, the way that they do this in the Ultimate Comics that I like a lot is Nick Fury almost uh, is the tony in in that version and it's actually and you know nick fury is definite this like this is black samuel l jackson like the original before they turned the main universe samuel l jackson black or the main universe nick nick fury black um and peter parker wants to grow up to be nick fury and nick fury keeps being like kid you do not want to be me right like my life sucks and I like saving people in the world and everything like that, but, like, kind of the Black Ops shit, essentially, that he's implying that he does is not kind of worth it. And so one of the things that Nick Fury does is he sets up... um, He sets up Spider-Man with a different... uh, They're called the Ultimates. They're not called the Avengers. uh, Who are... They do Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, where Spider-Man kind of, like, goes out on these, like, kind of small like easy peasy missions to train him up while he's in high school because the intention is once he gets out of high school he's going to join like he's going to join the ultimates proper and i kind of wish that they had almost like set themselves up for that a little bit um because i think that would be a neat way to rope them into the avengers stuff right captain america and and spider-man are you know or well i guess not captain america because he's on the land but like iron man and spider-man are doing something and then that thing leads to you know thanos kind of thing and then it like and then you have that like you're you're almost kind of bringing your kid sidekick along for like this suicide mission almost but it's inadvertent because this was supposed to be a harmless training mission kind of thing you know what i mean yeah i could see that i could also see something like something for like thanos comes and threatens earth and that's like what forces all the superheroes off the ground yeah yeah. um um 
question or uh, something I wanted to uh, ask you uh, what you thought. So in when the plane is flying away the first time, when Happy's like going over the inventory, mm -hmm. um, he said like one of the things on the itinerary is like the design is like a prototype for Cap's new shield. Do you think that means that like like you think that's supposed to be a hint, hint that everything's like back you know everything's hockey dory again? Uh, I actually think so. This is a little bit of fan theory territory. I don't have any anything to back this up, uh, given that Chris Evans just like re-signed his kind of contract. Um, <clears throat> I think what that might be is that they are going to maybe have a uh, like a, a like a uh, uh, somebody else essentially wear the Captain America costume while Steve Rogers is technically like underground. Uh, in uh, other comics, this ha this role has been done by the Black Panther, but obviously that wouldn't quite work here, given that the like Black Panther is obviously kind of like working for, uh, like working for and like with Cap sort of thing. Yeah, it can also um, it can also be the Falcon, right? Or no, uh, he's he's yeah, also working with Cap, isn't he? Yes, the Falcon is also working with Cap. Though, though the, like in, in continuity, those two are always kind of like entwined almost. Uh, like, they're very referential characters. Um, but there's another Captain America, a guy by the name of John Walker, who uh, ends up taking the Captain America shield because after Nixon, like, all this kind of, like, Nixon stuff happens, Cap, like, decides he stuff? quits. Yeah, all, in the in the comics. When, like, what, all of this Nixon what, stuff happens in, what, like, the what 70s. What Nixon stuff? Oh, oh, you mean, like, actual President Nixon? Yeah, like, actual President Nixon. Cap resigns. And he actually stays, un like, he says, like, resigned from Captain America for maybe, like almost like a decade. I want to say he like spent like a lot of the eighties. Um, and, uh, and at first he takes up this thing. He calls himself nomad, uh, or, or us agent is another one. Uh, like USA gent, uh, is how it's like spelled or whatever. And they give the captain America shield to another guy named John Walker. And I was thinking that maybe they're kind of setting something along those lines up. John Walker ends up taking up the captain America shield later down the line. Uh, or I'm sorry, the U.S. agent title later down the line, and he's kind of like another one of them. There's a, there's also some other folks, um, like for instance, do you know about the um, like there were like real super soldier experiments that like went on uh, kind of at the time, and they were doing these tests on African Americans. Uh, so it's actually like really fucked up. It's also the same stuff that like the Luke Cage is kind of based on almost, uh, where they're like you like stealthy like the cia is like fucking with prisoners or whatever like these african-american prisoners there is another character um that they're they are quote-unquote testing the captain the the super soldier serum on you know when they're trying to get it right but everybody keeps dying sort of thing before they get it ready for the implicit white man it's all about racism or whatever um that guy is called patriot and he also uses uh and he also uses a shield so there's a bunch of other people that they could kind of pull to have like a almost like a cap v cap thing um, also there's a Captain America shield, um, uh, there's a, there's a Captain America shield that is like, more, like a traditional heater shield more than like the round version that gets used by Bucky when Captain America dies and Bucky replaces him. Um, so I don't really know. could be like any of those, lots of different ones, uh, lots of different, different versions that they could be like referencing or thinking of or whatever else. It seemed weird to me that they had Thor's belt in there. Thor's belt is the thing that gives him his, like, super strength and shit. Oh, wait, but really? Yeah, it's, yeah. Is that, like, is that canonical to the movies? 
uh, is canonical to both versions of the comics. In the Ultimate Comics, um, well, in the Ultimate Comics, the tension is whether or not Thor is actually the, the the Asgardian god of thunder, Thor, or whether or not he's crazy. Like, there's evidence that suggests that he's, like, a crazy mental patient who got a hold of this crazy powerful, you know, like, hammer that Norwegian scientists were working on and this belt, right? And in order to depower oh, him, they wait. take off his belt. Right, right. Okay. So, sorry. Um, you could, you could finish this, uh, you know what, finish, finish what you were saying, sorry, sorry. Yeah, and then in the comics, the belt is also given to him by his dad, which is what gives him, like, his super strength and shit, uh, along okay. with, like, along with, like, the hammer. In the Ultimate Comics, is, like, is, is he, is he not, like, in, in the movies, he's not a normal person, right? He's, like, Thor from Asgard, he's got no, like, he, like, in, in, in the regular comics, he's, like, like a, a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. Or something? In the, yeah, in the regular comics, uh, so... Uh, when Odin strips Thor of his hammer, he turns him into uh, just like a like a mortal named Donald Blake, who is a doctor, right? Uh, but then you find out that Donald Blake is just kind of like an apparition almost, and that he basically wasn't real the entire time. Uh, and then you find oh, so out it's, it's after a retcon. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And then and then it's just Thor. And then Ragnarok happens canonically in the comics, and Thor is dead, and like all the Thor universe is gone for about eight years. Um, but when Thor goes, like, when Thor stops existing because Ragnarok happens, Donald Blake pops into existence. And then eventually Donald Blake, like, basically pulls Thor uh, and eventually all of the other Asgardians because they have also lodged themselves in, like, these mortal forms um, back, into, back into existence. Which is the best run of Thor comics ever and is the reason I'm a big Thor fan. It was, it was written by a guy named J. Michael Straczynski. Okay. If you've ever seen Loki as a chick, this is from those that that line of comics. Okay, so now I, now I need to know the important thing. Where does Frog Thor fit into this? <laughs> Frog, Thor. Fro Frog Thor is that he like picks up like a sliver that breaks off of Mjolnir, right, or something? It's, uh, it's something like that. I think it's after. Do you know Beta Ray Bill? Yeah, yeah. I knew a little bit. I knew a little bit about Thor, and it's like Frog Thor and Beta Ray Bill. Um, <laughs> Who's like oh, a horseman, but not actually a horseman. Yeah, you, you do not understand how hype I would be. In fact, a lot of the kind of MCU version of Asgard that is like Asgard by way of being aliens is specifically from the Beta Ray Bill version of the comics. Uh, and I would go so fucking insane if they added Beta Ray Bill, who ends up actually being like a fairly mainstay Marvel uh, like, like cosmic character. Uh, kind of like, you know, Silver Surfer sort of stuff. And right. so, like, if he were to prop up in, like, Avengers Infinity War or something and then, like, is a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, I would go fucking ballistic because I love Beta Ray Bill and, like, Thor Ragnarok, as much as I hate that it's basically Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and they've abandoned making a good Thor movie as as seen, like, as a Thor movie sort of thing, um... The uh, the prospect of Beta Ray Bill would would do a lot to make. Up for I, that. I I bet you I bet you in Ragnarok you get either like a character in the background that's Bill, or you get like a thing where like he passes through some sort of weird effect field and like for a second his face turns into a horse head and you're like oh it's Beta Ray Bill that might that might happen Beta Ray Bill also canonically has his own like it's not he like he has Mjolnir for a time but then when the regular Thor gets Mjolnir back 
Um, he gets uh, Big like Ray a, Bill gets another one that's called something else. It's like Thunderbreaker or something. It's like, like that. a gold hammer that looks kind of like a claw hammer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The and only so, reason I know any of this is because I used to play Marvel Ultimate Alliance. One of the alt the alt costumes for Thor is Beta Ray Bill. Oh, I'm dude, like, first of all, Marvel Ultimate Alliance is probably the best comic book game of all time. Uh, Maybe Injustice. Um, probably Ultimate Ultimate Alliance. To be honest with you, I, it I, is it is so good. Uh. And so I was like, why is this horse person Thor? And I went and looked it up. Um, but yeah, he's like, like, he's not actually a horse person, but like, he's like cursed or something to look like a horse person, even though, or something like that, right? Uh, uh, I think he's just an alien. Like, I thought his whole... I right, but I... Th- I th- like that, right? I, and something about Searcher, like the fire troll or like the fire giant. I think he's a fire giant. Uh, I, I thought that Beta Ray Bill was an alien... And I, th- I thought they, like, kind of retconned it that he also doesn't look like... He's an alien, but his, his species doesn't look like that. That's just oh, kind really? of, like... Let me, let yeah, me... that, yeah. That, may, that might make some sense. I might have, like... I haven't read a ton of Beta Ray Bill stuff. I just like him a lot. Uh, and so I, I have... Yeah. Anyway, I hope that fucking happens. Uh, but the other thing that I wanted to talk about was Baby Driver, because we both saw it. Yes. And we don't have a ton of time. So I'm just going to say that I think... This movie was good, but it is hilarious. It, it also kind of has the same thing that like Spider-Man has, where like if you view it comparatively along any of these axes, it ends up kind of coming up short, which which a little bit sucks. Which honestly speaks to me that like we have had very good th- of these kinds of movies, like which is weird. These kind of like criminal heist movies, right? Because you have like. Even if you just want to go with, like, specifically bank robber movies, well, you you already have Drive, right, which is kind of the same thing, Nicholas Winding Ref, and you have Ben Affleck's The Town, which is the ben, best Ben Affleck movie, right, that he's that he's ever made. Uh, and, uh, and then you have, like, Hell or High Water, you know, which was nominated for Best Picture last year, and I kind of help, couldn't help but feel that Baby Driver kind of comes up short. You know, like the John Wick movies, you know what I mean? Like, it kind of comes up short. To those, to like to these, and I don't know if I'm being super fair, almost because there's also a little bit of shock that comes out, right? Like there was, uh, it was like Nine Nine or something like that, which is a movie about cops who are secretly like bank robbers and stuff like that. Um, but then, and then you have these Edgar Wright movies, and I think it is of the three big ones, the Cornetto trilogy, right? You have Shaun of the Dead, you have Hot Fuzz, and you have The World's End. I think Baby Driver is 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 you know kind of marginally worse than all of those too. So it's a little bit of like. Baby Driver is good, but it's not quite there. Uh, it's just not quite there. Um, I, I I think it's better than um, I think it's better than than uh, End of the World or whatever it is. At World's End, World's End. Tat- oh, well, it is the World's End. At World's End is Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, right, and then there yeah. was there was the other movie that came out around the same time that was like another apocalypse movie, but with Seth Rogen. This is the end. Yeah, this is that one. Um, did you see that one? I no, I didn't. I never saw that one. I just remember they were both out at the same time, and I was like, wait, which one am I supposed to watch? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think Hot Fuzz is a work of art. I think Hot yeah. Fuzz is fantastic. I love Hot Fuzz. I love uh, I, I love uh, Shaun of the Dead. I haven't seen uh, Scott Pilgrim or his other movie. Which yeah, I have not seen Scott Pilgrim either. What was his other movie? There's, there's another one um, uh, that everybody talks about. Uh, huh, I wonder what it is. I wonder if I have seen it. Uh, I only know about it because I watched the uh, Your Movie Sucks review of uh, of Baby Driver, and he he mentions it. Uh, do, 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 uh, 
Yeah. Uh, Jeez, what is it? Uh, how, oh, he did a he did a section of Grindhouse. Um, because I know he did Spaced, like the TV series. Everybody talks about that, but it's really just Shaun of the Dead. Right? Uh, maybe it was supposed. Maybe maybe it was Spaced. Uh, I don't know. Doop doop. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, he wrote the screenplay for it, man. Yeah, yeah. He I was, dude, he was, dude, he was supposed to direct Ant-Man, but then he, like, creative differences, like, kind of. Oh, really? I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, because... no, I did know this, because I loved Ant-Man, but everybody was like, whoa, Ant-Man could have been real great. And I was like, but it was real great, and I know that you wanted something different, but. Yeah, it was because they, uh, it was because they made the, you know, the whole thing where Ant-Man fights the Falcon in the middle of the movie? Uh, they made him do that, and he didn't want to do that, so he was just like, you know what, I don't need this shit. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Um, that sucks. It does, but, you know, shit happens. Anyway. Um, what was ba- I, I going to say? Baby uh, Driver. Yeah, so, baby, so, yeah, so Baby Driver can't help but, like, kind of come in, uh, like, come in after after these ones, which uh, sucks. I think it could have, one thing they could have done that made Baby Driver better is made the music louder. Like, I think it got lost a lot. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. See, I think the big the big sink in Baby Driver is Ansel Elgort and whatever the the chick's name were. I thought they were not good. Uh, I thought they were kind of charisma vacuums. I thought everybody else was really great. I loved John Hamm in this. Holy shit! Like I like John Hamm a lot. I've watched all of Mad Men, and I think John Hamm is really really strong. Uh, when it you know like at at his thing, but he kind of is is a little bit one dimensional. Um, but to see him do this. Like, as well as he did, I was a bit like, all right, John Hamm, damn, like, you came to play, you know? And I thought Jamie Foxx was good. I thought, you know... Um, I thought Kevin I thought Spacey... Kevin Spacey... Yeah, so Kevin Spacey in particular, like, and, like, all the characters were kind of very distinct, but the way that Kevin Spacey, like, spoke a lot of his lines, kind of like a beat poet, I fucking loved. Like, that was, that was, that was one of the things that kind of, like, you know, like, got into my soul type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I, I kind of wish that, like... Like, I think you could have done this where, like, everybody was kind of like that in maybe a slightly different way, and and uh, Baby was, was mostly silent, and it was kind of like an opera playing out. Like, I, th- I, I, I think I know what he was going, what Edgar Wright was going for, but I don't think it came out fully. Yeah. Um, I like, also think uh, the, the big thing in, in me that I found frustrating about, uh, like... Well, so two things. One, Baby himself was a like a noisy character. I think it would have been better if he was if his actions were as soft spoken as he kind of is, right? Like because the film kind of like starts with him doing this like drumming on the drumming on and I was like, Oh, this is cool, you know, like he's gonna be kinda with it. He's gonna be like he's gonna be like discount Chris Pratt, you know what I mean? Almost. Yeah, yeah. Um and uh, uh, and then they were like, no, he never he never talks to anybody. And I was like, you know, like we we just saw him do all of this action. And then later in the movie, they do this whole thing where he's like walking down the street and he's like mouthing along to the things. I'm just kind of like like I kind of think this would all be better if he was just walking normally, chilling out, listening to his music, and the whole world around him was falling into the rhythm of it. Like, I really liked that aspect of it, but because he was so busy in the middle of the screen, it kind of, like, took that focus away from, like, almost, like, the natural rhythm of the world, and that sounds really hokey, but it is a very cool thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the, the, the kind of issue I think here was is that almost, like, I feel like they needed, like, like, 
the, I think it was supposed to be like that middle section where he's very inanimate is supposed to be like showing him being down because everything's kind of going shitty, right? But I don't yeah. think they had enough build up to really justify that doubt. Like you know, I feel like that that wants to be a contrast, but I feel like you need like more time, like may, maybe another like a, like a montage of short heists. Definitely, where where like he's on top of everything to to really contrast kind of like the the shitty way he's acting in in like the that the middle heist. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is something that I think. Uh, this is something that I think the town did really well. I mean, I think I love the town, and I think the town is like kind of one of these unspoken masterpieces that uh, that gets overlooked a little bit because um, w- the very first thing that they do is that they you know like they show everything going essentially according to plan, so that when things go not according to plan way later, you do have that sense of contrast, right? You can see them do. In fact, they actually do two jobs, right? Um, and the first one, something little goes wrong, you know, one of the bystanders happens to see an identifying tattoo kind of thing, and that sets a lot of the drama, you know, like, this is a lot of the tension, this is a lot of the drama kind of thing. Um, but also just the characters were, were better and more, more fully realized, right? Inside of the setting of the town, or like inside of the setting of Hell and High Water, for instance, in like West Texas kind of like post-2008 recession kind of stuff, you really feel for Chris Pine slash Ben Affleck when they're like, I want to get out of this life sort of thing, right? But I didn't get that same kind of thing coming from Ansel Elgort because like, he just didn't really sell like the, you did. They didn't give me enough of the circumstances to his situation to break down why it makes sense to me that he wants that he wants out of this life so bad. You know what I mean? And that he feels like this is like this is like not a good place for him, kind of thing. And then crucially and critically, and this is the major failing of the movie, right? Is that the, once they give you, once they show you his goal that he wants to get out of this life, and they show you all of this motivation, he wants to get out of this life. And go just drive aimlessly with 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 his woman kind of thing. Okay, you know whatever, right? Um, they give him that moment where Doc sits him down and he says, "All right, it's up to you. Job on or off, right?" Kind of thing. And he's like, "No, the job is on." It's like, "What? You're yeah. the one who doesn't want to do this, and he was literally threatened into doing this by Doc a second ago, and now you want to go through with the job? This makes no fucking sense." <laughs> yeah, no, I'll definitely give you that. There are a couple moments. There was that. There was also, like, at the very end where Kevin Spacey's like, oh, well, you've got a girl, so that changes my mind about everything. <laughs> I know, I know. What the fuck? And I also really liked, uh, it It really underlines to me that what John Wick was able to do with its setting and its world was so just incredibly special. Um, when they did that thing with like, he's an arms dealer and he calls himself the butcher. Right. And then they do basically beat for beat, almost, almost like line for line plagiarizing the whole thing with the sommelier in Rome where he's like, Oh, I'm looking for something with a nutty aftertaste. And then he like hands him a grenade launcher or whatever it is. Right. And the guy is sitting here talking about cuts of meat and yeah, like, yeah. and, and the guns or whatever, but it also isn't like. Oh God, this really kills me. But it just like it just wasn't it just wasn't well shot. It wasn't well executed. You don't get a good sense for what the guns are or what the differences are because Edgar Wright cuts too quickly. The car scenes, you know, the car scenes were were, were very good, right? But it makes the particular problem that a, that a car movie like Mad Max Fury Road doesn't make because he keeps cutting inside the vehicle. Yeah, I know it's Jamie Foxx in there. You know what I mean? Like you've showed me that he's in this 
white car or this red car just film the cars going in you know you don't have to you don't have to break up the movement of the cars by showing us them go whoa inside the vehicle between every shot it really chopped up those uh those those car chases and i really and i really didn't like that ah um, man that really got on my nerves i also thought that kind of like it's kind of like a villain switch from like jamie fox to to john ham like after he kills jamie fox which i thought was i actually thought the way he killed jamie fox was great yeah um like i like i was like oh is that what's gonna be is that what's gonna be and then like i'm like no he's not gonna do it because he's too much of a pussy and then he does it i'm like oh yeah it's great um yeah. um and uh uh but then like kind of like john ham first of all like again like nitpicks but like him happening to run into the two of them in the parking lot. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And then, like, th get uh. her getting killed and that turning John Hamm into this, like, villain for, like, the last, what, ten minutes of the movie. Just kind of like, mm. yeah. Like, it it feels like he wanted to kill, like, both kill Jamie Foxx in the super badass way and kill him in this, like, super dramatic way. And instead, they just use John Hamm for it. Yeah, I um, think that there were a couple of uh, kind of low-level, like, plot contrivances uh, along those lines. Yeah. Um, also, so, something that I just want to bring up is when he, like, shoots the, the bullets to either side of, of, uh, of Baby's ears, like, that's to make him go deaf, right? I thought he was going to drag the girl out and shoot her and leave him alive, and that was going to be, like, the thing or whatever. But then he goes, like, he shoots to either side of his ears, and then he goes to kill Baby... Like what? Why? Yeah, why? Why not that, just shoot him in the face in the fucking first place? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. I totally, uh, totally agree with you when it comes to. But I still that, like the movie. I, uh, I yeah, I still like the movie. I still think the movie is good. When you get directors like these, I don't think that they actually make bad movies. Um, you know what I mean? They just kind of make movies that are not as good as their other movies. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and and I think Edgar Wright is one of these kinds of guys, and I like him a lot. But uh, it just kind of like it just kind of didn't measure up. It also made me realize how much I just really want a crime movie that's about criminals being criminals. And maybe I'll get this out of like the this female version of the Ocean's movies. Um, you know what I mean? But like, and maybe this is also just because I've been playing a lot of Payday. But once I realized they were doing the Ansel Elgort has one last job and then he's out of crime for good kind of thing, I was like, man, dude, I really feel like I've seen this a lot, and I want to stop it. <laughs> like, I want to stop seeing it, kind of thing, right? This is something I actually like a lot about the Ocean's Eleven movies. Like, yeah, dude, they're all criminals. They don't, they don't give a fuck. Like, they, there's, there's nothing about it that's, that's like, oh. Danny Ocean is a is a is a bad guy for wanting to no they just Danny Ocean is your is your protagonist right he's a professional thief these are his other professional thief friends go watch them be thieves have fun you know what I mean you know what uh, movie I want to see I want to see Ocean's X versus the Expendables <laughs> <laughs> okay dude all right yeah uh, I do kind of want to see that is uh, that's a little on board I'm a little on board a little on board with that. Anyway, um, anyway, how was your week? How was my week? Oh, You've God, got a so minute late. and thirty uh, seconds. Well, we did we did D and D. I yeah, guess. we did, uh, um, which was nice. We did uh, we did kind of uh, dance uh, around problems like we usually do. 
dance around problems. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I have a, I have a very tough relationship with a little bit of this. Like, for instance, you know, I'm sure it was telegraphed pretty obviously, but there was like the moral choice for the care for the refugees, right? Was supposed to be, you know what I mean? Like, this is a kid who clearly has value and could really help out the rebellion, right? Do you convince him to go for it? even though it means breaking up this, you know, like breaking up this family kind of thing. Uh, and uh, you guys didn't really go, didn't really make a choice one way or another, which is fine, I guess. That's what these, that's what these games are for. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on, on Charles too much, but like, I, I got this feeling that like he dragged the kid over to me just so like he could use my diplomacy roles and like say <laughs> yeah no I mean okay I also I mean I'm not mad at him about this because you know what I think that's fine but it was purposeful that it was clock I mean it was also because I haven't done anything with this clockwork thing but like that was a that was a pre-built plot contrivance to make it so that if they wanted to do things they would someone who is not Beauregard would have to yeah no do absolutely things, right. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and Charles and I was kind of like, well, you know, I tried. Right? <laughs> like, 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 the, the thing that got at me a little bit wasn't so much that, like, he did, like, you know, I get that. But he dragged him over to me, I guess, like, for me to use my diplomacy roles, but still say his piece anyway, right? You like, know, and the thing was, is that this wasn't even built to be a diplomacy roles kind of skill challenge. It's just, this is, there. there's no convincing one way or another. This right. is a kid, he's looking for guidance. You told him something, you were like, you have to make, you know, you have to follow your heart. And then he was like, no, but please make the decision for me. Like, there was no diplomacy one way or another. It was just trying to kind of, like, te test test your ethics a little bit. No, I, I, I was gearing up for this kind of, like, emotional bit. And then Alaric's like, aha, but you really don't have to choose. Yeah, I know. But, you know, I mean, it, it is one of the great beauties of games like this that you get to think outside the box a little bit like this. And so I'm not going to yell, you know, I'm not going to be mad that Alaric... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, and then the thing afterwards in the, um, uh, the thing afterwards in the, uh, the tavern, in the tavern. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I actually liked that a lot mostly because, I mean, it's one of those things where I think it is, it's not just that you're meeting all of these different people who are on your side, but that they are competing factions almost within one another. Right. And so the idea for these kind of like rough and tumble, uh, way watchers who really don't like, uh, you know, city city folk or whatever. Like, yeah, you guys all have the same goal of defeating Barzillai Thrun, right? But it is for very different, you know, like it is for very different reasons, and that doesn't mean that you know all your little, you know, like all your little bitches are going to get along, uh, sort of thing. And so, um, uh, not even I guess it's a little bit of foreshadowing, but like not even just foreshadowing, but just to kind of like show you like. These are not, you know, like, these factions don't exist in a vacuum kind of thing. They are going to bump into one another. They're going to, they're going to, you know, uh, you're going to have to do some management work in order to make sure that uh, this coalition that you've gathered together, uh, everybody kind of, like, crosses the finish line, um, you know, without, without breaking each other's teeth sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that worked out great. I like, you know, Rick Hacks and his drinking songs and shit. Yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah. <laughs> The fucking the, there was the cat. There was the cat. You know, you know what's so funny? I, I should have swung it on the on the thing because I thought about it instantly. When he said the thing about cats, do you know like Dayman and Nightman? Oh from yeah, yeah, funny? yeah. That was the first thing that pops in my head. Was like cats, man. Oh, oh like, see, I, 
the thing that popped into my head was 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 the scat man. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. But I was a big fan of that. I don't know. I haven't been. What have I been doing for video games? I've been playing a lot of different stuff, to be honest with you. Like I've started Shadowrun Returns. I've been playing FTL recently. Um, uh, I uh, uh, I've been playing a lot of Payday Two. Payday Two added a feature called Crime Sprees that are basically just mythic pluses or like uh, almost like torment dungeons and like diablo or whatever it's you just play one day of a heist um but like as you go higher and higher and then you you keep collecting rewards right and as you go higher and higher and higher and higher um you get all of these modifiers to it um but it's almost a little bit like gambling which i love uh like just almost kind of like the metaphor involved when you're playing as these like criminal payday guys or whatever um because like Oh, and this is also so. Well, okay. So here's the other thing. They also introduced a, a, introduced a new kind of currency called continental coins. That's because canonically, John Wick got the Payday crew added to like the criminal underworld. So like Payday and oh, like wait, John really? Wick are like in the same universe. Oh apparently, man. At this, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's not, it's not like they lean heavily on it or whatever, but they just added this new currency called continental coins. But like as soon as they said, it, I was like, oh my god. Right, and then I went and I did a little bit of like digging or whatever, and I saw this thing, and it's like, yeah, John Wick got everyone, and like, like they got a new safe house, and everyone is now a member of the Continental. And I was like, oh my god, that's so fucking cool. Um, but anyway, um, as you go higher and higher, right, and you get really high because each of the, like the the different missions give different points based on how long the mission takes, right? So like a long mission will give you like ten or fifteen, a short mission will give you five. Um, the uh, uh, so like when you start getting up there in points, right? If you fail the mission, right, and if you lose the round, then in order to claim your rewards, you have to pay out continental coins equal to the number um, of the mission that you lost out on. I guess. Um, so, or, so like if you get up to like seventy-five or a hundred, right, which is very easy to do, right. And the, and the guys are getting harder and harder and you're getting all these like little modifiers and everything and like the enemies are getting like percentage boosts to their like health and damage and everything like that, right? Like uh, th it becomes a point where it's like, I need to cash out. You know what I mean? But if I go, but if I just go for one more, you know, like do one more heist, man, like I can get, you know, however, like whatever else. But then if you fail that heist, holy shit, now you have... You know, now your heist is level 110, but you can't claim those rewards until you pay out 110 Continental Coins to get it, which is tough to do. Uh, which I think is an awesome mechanic, and I've been playing a ton of Payday 2 because of it. Can you pay for Continental Coins with real money? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Because if uh, you can, that's automatically like a, a, a dark, you know, a, an X in my book, but... Uh. Yeah, I mean, the, you, the things that you... So... Uh, the things that you can buy for real money if you want are weapon skins like CSGO. Uh, weapon skins sometimes have a stat boost. Uh, sometimes have a stat boost on them. But that stat boost is also something that drops in regular loot boxes. Um, so, like, you remember all of the, like, the hullabaloo, like, a year or two ago about, yeah, like, yeah. the pay-to-win of Payday 2? Yeah, all of that was such bullshit. Anybody who ever said that, like, this was a bullshit business practice really didn't understand what... I mean, is, uh, it, random, over is it random chance drop? Yeah. Then it's pay to win. No, but it's not. But well, okay. I mean, you could either play for endless hours and hope that you get the right stat drop, or you could buy a bunch of them. If you know the stat drop, if you know how low the stat drop is, right? 
Uh, and if you know that this is a this isn't a PvP game, right? This is purely PVE. I think that mitigates it enough that I have no problem whatsoever and saying that what this you're is saying, a fair, a what fair What you're system. saying is, is, is it's an acceptable pay-to-win, but it's still pay-to-win. It's not pay-to-win, though. You win based on, you know, like, the plus four accuracy bonus you get with this weapon skin isn't going to be the make or break between winning or losing. All right. You know what I mean? So then it's bad pay-to-win. I don't know. But I, it, I like to me, it's like not paying, paying to paying? win if you can't. If like it is not something that you are. If I can walk into World of Warcraft and for you know and for money or whatever buy myth a mythic geared tune, maybe you could like yeah, that's that's pay to win if you assume the implicit win state of mythic dungeons or or I'm sorry, mythic raiding or whatever is like is like winning kind of a thing, right? Um, but I don't think pay or or like the RuneScape example where like you can just buy shit. Uh, uh, in RuneScape, maybe you get me on board for that, but it's really tough to do that for me when it comes to payday because the it like these stat boosts are not just not make or break enough. Those four accuracy points, yeah, it's better in like an incremental you know like way or everything, but it's just not enough to make a real difference in how your character know. you I, know I, plays. I, I'm I'm kind of hardline. If you can pay money to get something that makes your your character better, that's I, I characterize it as pay to win, regardless. Like I, I, you know, maybe that's not exactly accurate, but it's it, it's 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 the label. I, I guess put on okay. It. I guess really what I'm getting at is that I don't think it's it, so. If we want to define pay to win that way, fine. But it's not it's not a negative thing, right? This isn't something that is an active detriment. Oh sure, it's, to it's the a, to the game. It's also a PVE game, so you know, end of the day, you could also like install a cheat engine and do that, and you know that's that's fine, right? Like yeah, that yeah, exactly. Um, um so you know there's uh, that yeah um well i i've been playing PUBG, which you have not joined me for so you can play your i should stupid I really pay should to win be, games but i know uh, i've just been yeah i know i've just been playing so much it's just so much it's just so satisfying dude i don't know what it is about the gunplay in payday 2 i just really love it it is uh, it is uh super fun uh, i've i've gotten better at the shooting in the PUBG, which has had the 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 comical effect of making me actually not place as well because instead of being a total coward, I'm like, I could shoot people and I try and shoot people and it works sometimes, but not other times. <laughs> um, but it is a little bit more action packed and it's a little bit more fun for me. Uh, but I've mostly been reading cause I'm trying to get through all of the dark tower <laughs> books so that we can, I can be informed when we do a dark tower say, review. There was a dark tower. Uh, there was a dark tower trailer in front of both Baby Driver and Spider Man. And I, I'm not a big fan of getting on trailers for being good or bad, but I think that dark tower trailer is awful. I, the one where the one where at the end he's like, I don't I don't aim with my my hand. I aim with my heart or whatever he says. Or I kill with my heart or whatever. Yeah, that, that's kind <laughs> of like very on message for the book. So this this is kind of why I want to do this this way because I think this this series might have one of the bigger impacts for like prior knowledge. Okay. Um, you know, and let, I I don't think I have to convince you to not read anything. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, I also discovered that besides the seven core books, there's also an eighth book. It was between books four and five. And then apparently, like, a, there's a bunch of other books that, like, are written by Stephen King and tangentially related. And so I'm trying to do those. Right now I'm reading The Stand, which is actually really good. It's about um, essentially the military engineer is a super virus and uh, it, somebody spills it and somebody gets out 
and it kills like everybody. Um, but there's some people who are naturally immune. It's about kind of like the the fall and the events of that. Um, and like I'm I'm about halfway through it now. But the first part is basically the spread and the, the decimation that this disease causes, and like just some of the stuff that's like you know like and the government attempts to like like go into like a a cover up and it's like the way he like i didn't expect this not, not you know i haven't read much king before but it's um he's really good at wrenching emotion at least at least in my experience like i like a lot of his descriptions even for characters that you don't know for so long mm -hmm. um like a lot of them die in this this first part because that that's like a major theme and i don't know i really felt it i thought it was i i think it's very well written um i am I'm I'm happy to be reading this one. Um, I liked it. I like it better than I think I liked either the Gunslinger or Drawing of the Through, which are the first two Dark Tower books. Um, but you know, I'm looking forward to the rest of this. So uh, I'll post the list of what books I'm reading in case any listeners want to begin saying with me. I did the calculations, and I think if I do six hours of reading a day, I can I can get it all based oh on some like, calculations from uh, uh from like how long to read. There's like a site for it. Uh -huh. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read a lot. So, you know, that, that'll be most of this month. Um, but well, yeah. I wish you the best of, have you ever, have you ever read World War Z? Um, it is that? another kind of almost like, you know, I mean, it's obviously about zombies in this instance, but it is like, kind of like a, what happens when. I didn't like, read World War Z, but I read the zombie survival guide, which is by the same guy. Yeah. World War Z, World War Z is fantastic. Cause World War Z is kind of structured as like a you know, eventually humanity does defeat the zombies kind of thing. But it is, like, post that interviews with people who kind of lived through it, um, you know, like, all around the world, uh, and kind of their, like, testimonials. And that is, and it, it is a fantastic plot device, but he really thinks a lot of this kind of stuff through, right? Like, there, there, there's this whole thing about uh, the Battle of Yonkers, which is where the, the United States military, like, basically uses conventional tactics and warfare against these hordes of zombies and get utterly fucked for it um because you know zombies don't behave like or, other yeah, people, you know what i mean yeah. like yeah uh and so it's, it's just very very cool um to be honest it's like one of the like last books i i read i don't i don't read a lot i have a very tough time to be honest with you uh like reading like novels and stuff these days because i think i've just like almost rewired my brain to be like a a movies and television and video game absorbing thing almost uh if if you want audiobooks work for me um we are not yet sponsored by audible but i'm sure if anybody listens to this podcast they'll they'll throw us they, they sponsor everybody that's true what <laughs> by the way do you know what episode of the podcast this episode is this is episode 91 uh okay cool uh that's a lot of episodes holy shit we are approaching we have special we have special surprise planned that will probably I mean, it's not going to be a surprise because we're going to talk about it before it happens for what the the one hundredth episode is. But I'm very excited for it. <laughs> yep, it's it, it should be a time. But uh, I think we've run very long on this episode, so I think this 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 is kind of the end. I think that if you want to tell us what you think of all these things we've talked about, from Baby Driver to Spider Man to uh, Stephen King to World War Z, you can email us at simplyplaygames at gmail .com. You can Watch us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Games. You can leave comments everywhere, subscribe everywhere, leave reviews on iTunes, all that good stuff. Um, buddy, did you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I wanted to promote. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>